We're at the beginning of Luke chapter 10. Chapter earlier, Jesus had sent out the apostles to do healings and cast out demons, and now he'll take 70 more disciples and commission them to go out for a specific task. So Luke chapter 10, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for this city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have re repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So Jesus is sending out 70. This is not a passage designed for us to say, oh, well, this is the way it's done. I'm, I'm going to get 70 people this morning. I'm going to break you up into twos. I'm going to send you out. There's overarching principles that teach us this morning how we should apply this. This was a specific job Jesus gave 70 disciples, commissioned them and empowered them to do special things for a special time, to prepare the people in each village for his coming. And their specific job was hinted at when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. They were going out and preparing the hearts of people to become more laborers. They were preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus to come and for them to become more laborers. That's the principle. We evangelize the lost, bringing them into the kingdom and training them to become laborers in the kingdom, going out, evangelizing the lost, making them into disciples so they can go out and evangelize the lost and make more disciples. It's a pretty simple plan. I've heard Mike Owens preach this in missions. You go, you baptize, you make disciples, rinse and repeat. 
until the Lord comes back. This is what we do. This is what life is all about for Christians. Our mission statement at the church, we're all about Jesus. We adore him by learning from him. That's disciple making so that we can love like him. How did he love? He told people the way of eternal life. So they would put their faith in Jesus and live according to his ways. Be discipled and go out and make more worshipers of Jesus. If you're not actively and intentionally engaged in this process, you're missing the boat somehow. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, a disciple maker. By the end of the summer, our discipleship center will be finished. It's going to be glorious. And some people will say they spent too much money on this place. That's, A, we didn't. It's going to look like it, though. But the whole point is for people to go, why would they spend this much resources on discipleship? Because it's what we're all about, people. I, I want people to see that room and go, whoa, what is this all about? It's all about what we're supposed to be doing. All the equipping happening here is so you can go out and make disciples. Become a disciple so you can make disciples. This morning I want to look quickly at three principles of kingdom work so that we will all glorify God better as laborers in his fields. It's uh, the weed whacking deadline hit on June 1st. Caught a bunch of you off guard, right? And I know people have been calling around looking for laborers and there's not enough laborers. Plenty of work to do, not enough laborers reading in the Wall Street Journal that there's actually plenty of jobs in America, but not enough laborers. People don't want to do the work or they're not trained to do the work. Grape growers in the Central Valley are talking about replacing their vineyards with almond orchards. To harvest almonds, you just need a machine that grabs a trunk and shakes it. Grapes need to be carefully cultivated and picked. But they say, we can't get anyone to do the work. We'll offer them more money. We do, and they don't want to do it. They, a couple hours under that hot sun, and they quit. And Jesus says, his harvest is plentiful. There's people out there waiting to hear about the kingdom. And we need more laborers. So let me give you three principles to help you understand that we are the laborers. And this is the kind of work we should be doing. Principle number one, the laborers are to proclaim the king and call people to receive the king. This is what we do. We proclaim the king. He sent the 70 ahead of him to tell them the king is coming. The kingdom of God has drawn near. It is close, literally, for them. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. Now, these folks were thinking about a different kind of kingdom, and that's exactly what we see today. You, 
everybody's thinking about the wrong kingdom. All of their time and their energy and their resources and their thoughts tend to be about this worldly kingdom. How to get ahead in the world. How to live a little more comfortably. Have a little more money in your bank account. How to have a little bit better health. How to have a better vacation next summer. How to have a little nicer house, nicer yard, and uh, next thing you know, all of your time and all of your money and all of your resources are going to the wrong kingdom. And so we are to be those not living like that, demonstrating, proclaiming with our lives and proclaiming with our mouths what the true kingdom is and who the true king is. We realize, and we've talked a lot about this, that we live in a culture that is the kingdom of me. The kingdom of self, the kingdom of my dreams, my agenda. And that's the kingdom that leads to discontentment, despair, anxiety, depression, unhappiness, anger because somebody else has a nicer kingdom than I do, and that's not fair. And ultimately leads to spending eternity outside the real kingdom. And so, this is our job. Everything we do as Christians, in one way or another, you should be able to connect the dots to the Great Commission. How is this fulfilling the Great Commission? How is this proclaiming the gospel and bringing people into the kingdom? Jesus says, there are not enough laborers in the kingdom. So he says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. He tells them this before they go on their trip, which tells us that that was their job. They were preparing other people to receive the king so they could be in the kingdom so they could become more laborers. See, we misinterpret this passage and we think what Jesus is saying is pray that some new missionaries will magically appear somewhere out of the missionary orc cloud, wherever they come from. Pray that we'll get more evangelists. Well, where do you think they come from? Us. It's us. By praying this prayer, what you're really praying is, Lord, align my heart with your heart when I pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In my life, rearrange my priorities, lift the fog from my eyes. We're supposed to be laborers. When I say we need more laborers in Sunday school, it's not like, oh, I hope God will bring more Sunday school teachers to our church. Well, what do you think happens in Sunday school? You teach people about the king who are younger than you are. You should know more than they do about the king. You can do this. And we've set up Sunday school so that there's lots of opportunities. We trade on month on, month off. Some rooms, three months, one month on, two months off. Plenty of opportunities for everyone. I shouldn't have gaps in the schedule. I should have more people wanting to do this than we have room for. Nathan should have more people wanting to tell high schoolers about the king, then he, well, we're out of tables. 
you know, maybe next summer. That would be a wonderful problem to have. Why aren't there enough laborers? Because of three reasons, and we're going to look at those. There might be more, but I think after, let's see, ten, almost 10 years pastoring here and two years at another church, we're coming up on a dozen years. These are the reasons. And the reasons I've seen in my own life, don't think just because I'm a pastor that I don't struggle with this. You know what the struggle is for pastors? I labored eight to five this week. I put in my labor. But we always have to constantly remind ourselves, we're asking you to make laboring in the kingdom a lifestyle. That means after you've worked your regular job, and I hope you're laboring in your regular job as unto the Lord. It's not just where you go to make your money. It's your mission field. But we would expect you to put in another five to ten hours a week on top of your regular labor. So pastors, we have to be careful that we're not asking you to do something that we wouldn't do ourselves. So before I became a full-time pastor, I understand where you're at. That's where I lived life. I was a math teacher. And you tended to divide your life up into, well, there's the kingdom part, and then there's the regular part. And it shouldn't be that way. It should all be kingdom living. So here's my list. Number one, and this is by far the biggest, number one reason there are too few laborers is that we're all too busy living in the kingdom of this world. We get too busy living in the kingdom of this world. Let's be honest, we have to live in the kingdom of this world, but we're not of this kingdom. We're in this kingdom, but we're not of this kingdom. We have different priorities, a different agenda than people who are not yet in the kingdom of God. And yet, most Christians are not looking for evangelistic and discipleship opportunities because they are using up most of their time, energy, and money trying to live successfully in the wrong kingdom. If you're not intentionally looking to live in the kingdom of God and how that looks different and organizing your day and your resources to that end, little by little, unintentionally, but it still happens, you will find that your life isn't really that much different than somebody outside the kingdom. You get up and you punch the clock and you do your nine to five and you come home and watch a little TV and watch a home improvement show and, hey, we should renovate this, that, or the other thing. Or, And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to update something in your house. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching some sports. NBA Finals tonight at five, game two. <laughs> Shout out for Nathan. But Nathan could tell you how easily that can become all-consuming, right? Sports. Because there's so many of them and so many channels. And so you're like, should I, should I just stop doing sports and stop watching sports? I'm not giving you a list of do's and don'ts up here. That's not how kingdom life works. You have to look at the heart. 
Your kids are involved with sports. People living in the kingdom look at sports as an opportunity to build the right kind of character traits in the kingdom and looking to build relationships with people outside the kingdom and inviting them over to their house to tell them about Jesus. People who do sports not for the kingdom forget about Jesus and it just becomes about the recreation and the competition. And, and it happens so subtly. And I love what Matt shared this morning when his boys said, so when are we going to talk to this guy about Jesus, invite him to church? It's a wonderful thing to minister to somebody in need. And that's part of kingdom living, but it's for the purpose of gaining an audience to say, you know why we're reaching out to you in love like this when we hardly know you? Let me tell you about my king and what he did for humanity on the cross. Reaching out to us before we knew him. This just happens, and so you have to be on guard for it. We raise our children, and we, they got to go to school, and they need an education so they can go to college and get a good job. And we want them to have a, get married maybe someday and have a house and kids of their own because the end game is grandchildren. <laughs> Amen. I'm seeing some, yeah. Kids you get to enjoy without having to raise. That is, that's the goal. Or, look how well my kids turned out. It validates me as a parent. And we have all these hidden goals that we don't realize are lurking in our hearts, but they determine how and why we live our life each day. So you have to look at your life and work backwards to the heart and see, why do I do the things I do? See what's important to you in your heart, and I'll tell you why you do the things that you do. Becoming a Christian is realigning your heart with the things God says are important and then reorganizing your life around those godly desires and godly goals. And God wants to see people worship the King and have joy inexpressible. The kind of happiness the world doesn't understand. That's that's compelling. The second reason people aren't working out in God's fields is fear of man. I'm afraid of being shunned or thought of as weird or uncool or you're one of those fanatical Christians. You know, right now you can be a Christian just as long as you keep it in this realm. This acceptable, don't really believe what you believe realm. And don't expect others to, to believe what you believe. Write the coexist bumper sticker, Christianity. Hey, it doesn't matter what you call your religion, I'm fine. Just don't, don't really believe it and don't expect me to believe it. Or you're afraid that if you share Jesus with others, they'll ask you questions you don't have the answers to. I get asked questions all the time I don't have answers to. And I'm the pastor. And I say, well, let's, let's find out together. And some of the questions are really, really hard. And, and the Bible does have the answers, and I still struggle with the answers. That's okay. If you're waiting t- for that place in your Christianity where you're the Bible answer man, 
before I'm going to share Jesus, Bible Answer Man doesn't even have all the answers. And some of the ones he has, I don't agree with. Jesus is looking for people with a hum, humble heart who says, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but Jesus does. Let's go search them out together. We're not quite at the place in our country where fear of imprisonment or that kind of persecution is here. It seems to me that in places where that is happening, though, people are far more diligent to live out their faith Because there's no middle ground. You either live in the kingdom or you don't. If you pretend to live in the kingdom, you're still going to get thrown in jail. So if you're going to live for Jesus, you might as well go all in. It's not like America where you can say you're a Christian, but not really, and no one's going to persecute you. You know, what's the worst that's really going to happen to you, honestly? Nothing that God hasn't ordained. Nothing that God hasn't ordained. Uh, I lost out on two job opportunities in my lifetime because I was honest about my faith. I'm doing fine. God will provide. And honestly, I probably didn't want to work there anyways if that was going to be the way my faith was treated. But those interviewers heard the gospel that day. So I did my job, and I was happy to. Here's a little nugget for you I want you to really dwell on. Most of the time when people come in outside of our church for counseling, the the whole problem is that they're not kingdom-minded. We'll get people coming in for counseling that say they're Christians and maybe even attend other churches and they don't have counseling at their other churches or they haven't attended in a while. And they think the problem is this. And we're sitting there saying, no, the problem is you're living in the wrong kingdom. That's why you're miserable. And sometimes people in our in our in our own flock, when they come in for counseling, you often find that they're not really involved at all with serving, evangelism, discipleship, because they're like, my life is falling apart, and once I get it back together, then I'll get involved in kingdom work. Like, I think your life is falling apart because you're not involved in kingdom work. People involved in kingdom work have all the same problems you have, but those problems get, like, diminished And they're just not overwhelming and all-encompassing. I've got projects around the house I have not gotten to. I don't have the time or the money or the resources. And I used to live my life a long time ago where it's like once I get all those projects done, then I can really be on fire for God and do all the things that He's calling me to do. It never ends up coming. There's always another project. There's always another hobby. There's always another thing to be interested in. I love getting invited over to a kingdom-minded person's house, and their house is not picture-perfect. It's like controlled chaos. It's beautiful. Like, wow, no fear of man here. 
It's a beautiful thing. Just, yeah, come on in. Here's our life, open book. Jesus is our king. He could be your king too. I think we go, well, can I have both? Maybe. But I guarantee if you don't get the first thing first, you'll never have both. You'll always be worried about secondary issues. As soon as I'm here in my life, then I'll be kingdom-minded. That attitude never leads to the life that we're all really looking for. I do know some people who are very kingdom-minded, and they have these other things as well. But even they would tell you, you know what? I think these other things often just crowd out the important things in my life, and they hit the reset button, and they reorganize their life, and they get back to kingdom living. So principle... I turn the page. Number three, the uh, reason why there are few laborers is many people think that other Christians are supposed to be the laborers. Well, I'm not gifted in that area. I don't have the patience for working with children. Well, some people shouldn't work with children, but it's much fewer than you would think. It's much fewer than you would think. I can't evangelize. That's, that's for the bold. Everyone can share Jesus with someone else. Every, every believer can and should do that. Yeah, not everybody is gifted to get their doctorate in Old Testament. <laughs> Austin's here. But we, we somehow think, oh, the Austins of the world and the Heathers, those are the people that go do the really important work of evangelism and discipleship. We'll just give them money and send them. Keep giving them money and sending them. But send yourself too. Go to that meeting Tuesday night and they'll tell you they don't have all the answers they're nodding. <laughs> well, well, gosh, if they don't, then I'll never have all the answers. No, that's the wrong attitude. You have enough knowledge of Jesus Christ if you are saved to share Christ with someone else. And like Jerry and Sharon have invited you, keep getting equipped. Keep learning. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Don't stop learning about Jesus. It's what encourages us and equips us. But by the same token, don't just be like, I'll keep learning until someday I'll be useful. And that day never comes. Be useful as you learn. When you go out and do, you'll find out what you don't know and you'll come back and get more equipping. When I give a test in a math class, it's not so much to assign a grade, it's to find out what they don't know. So that we'll cover it some more the next chapter. You don't go out to be tested to find out, oh, I'm a failure, I'm never going to do that again. Of course you're going to fail. We're human beings. The only real failure is not going out and doing what the Lord has commanded. 
It'll keep you humble. You'll fall flat on your face a few times. You'll give the, what you thought was the perfect apologetic defense for the faith, and someone will s- still not believe. Or they'll come up with a question you didn't have the answer to. And they'll be like, ah, I gotcha. What about that? And you're like, well, I still believe in Jesus. It's not changing my mind. Uh, let's meet again, and we'll talk about that point. Point number two, every Christian then is a laborer. Pretty simple. Every Christian is a laborer. When Jesus says, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he'd send out more laborers, he's talking to us. Again, we labor. So more people come into the kingdom. We disciple them. And what do we tell them to do in discipleship? Reach people. Bring them into the kingdom for Jesus. Disciple them. Teach them to do it. It's very simple. It's beautifully simple. Oh, sure, the particulars are complicated. That's why we have all this learning and teaching and seminaries and preaching every Sunday and discipleship groups and small groups. All of that is part of the equipping process. But at its core, you go out and you tell people about Jesus and the People who want to hear, Jesus says, if there's a man of peace in the house, then they'll accept you. If not, you go on to the next person. And and sometimes you go back to that other person a little later because it wasn't their day that day. Or maybe they'll come back to you. And this is what we do until God calls us home or he returns. And he says in his word that when he returns... These are the people he's going to be looking for. These are the faithful ones. You're you're busy making disciples, and Jesus, the the scroll, the skies rolled back like a scroll, and 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 if you're really excited, you're like, oh, I want to finish discipling this person, but he's here, so (laughs) you know it's not like, hey, he's going to be here in a month. I better cram and start making disciples. It should just be a way of life. I love when I hear these stories about somebody in their final days on their deathbed and they're still telling people about Jesus to anyone who will walk in the room. They're just making disciples all the way up to the last second. So the only way to get more laborers for the kingdom is through evangelism and discipleship. Not hope that God magically has some a team of evangelists appear out of nowhere. You, you are the team. I'm the team. We're all the team of evangelists. We're all the disciplers. So reset your heart to accept that serving God is a great honor and a blessing. Helping others receive the king and enjoy life in the kingdom of God is our greatest joy. When I finally figured this out was when I wanted to become a pastor because I just wanted to do it all the time. And I was being paid to be a math teacher and I was starting to... um, Did you know there's this website called RateMyTeacher.com? All the teachers. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I could care less what the kids are saying about me. Yeah. Kind of do care. And back when I was a teacher, the comments on me were... He's, 
He's an okay math teacher, but sometimes he just starts preaching. I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to get fired. So now God lets me do this full time, and I teach a math class here at the school. So I, I, get, I get my cake and eat it too. God wants you to have the desires of your heart, as long as the desires of your heart are aligned with his desires. Align the desires of your heart with God's heart, and he will make all your dreams come true, because they'll be his dreams. And the way that fleshes out will look a little differently in your life than my life, because I have different gifts and talents, and you have different, different gifts and talents. I have different opportunities, different neighbors, different people I come into contact with than you do, but it's all the same job. So rearrange your life to maximize your resources serving the king. I hear people say, you know, if I sign up to serve, then I may not be able to go and do this thing. Okay, good. Squeeze it out. If I give any more money to missions, I won't be able to afford TV. What are you really going to miss out on? If I sign up to be a Sunday school teacher, what if I want to go out of town that Sunday, but I'm locked into having to teach? Ask the other teacher to sub for you that Sunday. Or maybe the thing you wanted to go do out of town isn't that important. If I live like this, my kids won't have the same opportunities other people's kids have. That's a good thing. Too many of our young people are have an abundance of non-kingdom-minded things in their life. You will bless your kids tremendously if their life is spent serving the king with you. Finally, point number three. Laborers are supposed to explain the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Jesus did say, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Yeah, it's, it's ugly out there. It could be hostile. Lots of people don't want the king. Have you noticed lately? The unbelievers in our country become unhinged. Just un, unhinged, angry, afraid that any talk of God is going to ruin our country, take all their freedoms away. I understand those people are out there. They need Jesus. You know plenty of people, yourself may be on this list. That was you. That was you, and you're so different now. You have peace. You care about other people. You let go of this world. You don't hang on to it so tightly. The miracle can happen in another heart. And you could be part of that process. God could use you to be the ambassador for Christ. And so you're proclaiming the king and that the king is near. By the way, you have the king living inside you. So anyone you go near, the king is near. Right? He sent the 70 out. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Pentecost hadn't come. And they're saying, the king is near. The kingdom is near. He's coming. He's coming. And you get to tell people, the king is near. I know Jesus. 
you can know Him too. He can live inside of you too. He's, he's like a flame. You can light another candle off a flame and the flame is still all there. There's plenty of Jesus to go inside of everybody. He's eternal. He doesn't run out. But you do have to tell them that there is a choice. There is two kingdoms. There isn't a third way. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of Satan. You're like, well, I'm all about the kingdom of me. Guess what? The kingdom of me is the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of me is the kingdom of Satan. There's only one I am, and it ain't you or me. And so he tells them, look, if they reject you, you have to tell them that judgment is coming. And that the judgment that Sodom and Gomorrah faced which was pretty horrible, will be nothing compared to the judgment people will face who got to actually hear about Jesus. It'd be a, great, a greater judgment. And so he says, you have to tell them Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not. I remember telling a high schooler years ago when I was a high school teacher, this young lady who was very anti-God and she was doing the whole goth thing. I mean, she just dressed so over the top to tell the whole world, back off. And I'm sure she had some deep underlying issues there. You don't dress like that unless there's some pretty major insecurities going on. But we would get into these good discussions about Jesus. And, you know, finally one day she was just like, I just don't believe that he's there. And I said, you know, whether or not you believe he's there, he's there. And you could say, I don't believe in gravity but don't go jumping off any buildings. Because it's there whether you want it to be there or not. And it finally hit her. And this is the point where I say, and she broke into tears and she received Jesus. No, she got so mad at me, she threw her desk over and got out and stormed out of class. But she came back. And we had a few more conversations about Jesus. And I wish I could say she finally put her faith in Jesus. I don't know. But it's not my responsibility to make that decision for her. I just keep proclaiming the king and telling her about kingdom life. And you let God handle the rest. And so Jesus says... The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. They're not rejecting you. Now, if you're telling them, be like me and live your life like me, and they say, I don't want to. They're not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting you. 
But if you give them Jesus and they reject your message, they're, they're rejecting Jesus, not, not you. And if they reject Jesus, they reject the one who sent him. Ultimately, their problems with God, not, not with you. That brings us great freedom and courage. Great freedom and courage. And we can all be laborers. And I'm here to testify that the biggest change that happened in my life after I got saved was trying, stop trying to live in the kingdom of this world and add Jesus. Live in the kingdom of God. And the rest of those things will just fall into place. And isn't that what Jesus said? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So... Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being the king and sending your son, the king, to proclaim the kingdom, for dying for us so we can be in the kingdom. Help us to enjoy life in your kingdom, forsaking the kingdom of this world and embracing your kingdom. May we be the laborers that you're talking about workers in the kingdom, not waiting for others to do the work or waiting for that day when somehow we'll finally be fully equipped to work, trusting that wherever we are right now in Christ, there's work we can accomplish in his name, making disciples. May we also never stop growing in our knowledge and our equipping. We want to be better workers more efficient workers, more godly workers, more Christ-like workers. And so I thank you for the church, Lord, for providing that service in the kingdom. Lord, may all of us this summer not put kingdom work aside. Help us find the appropriate way to rest and be rejuvenated. Help us to look for kingdom opportunities even in our relaxation and in our vacations and lord i pray that we would all before september hits look at our calendar and our schedule and our lives and make choices and commit to things that are going to count for eternity i pray this in jesus name amen amen god bless you